Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Tuesday, July 23rd, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, Sanders campaign workers reach a deal on wages, listen to part of Buttigieg's country music radio interview that never aired, people are already projecting electoral maps for 2020, Booker goes on Seth Meyers, and Biden is starting to see just a tad less cable media coverage. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, one of the stories I haven't mentioned yet on this show has been a simmering problem in which field organizers working for the Sanders campaign receive an effective wage that is not great. Those organizers have reported routinely working 60-hour weeks while getting paid a fixed salary, meaning no overtime. For field organizers, that salary was $36,000 a year. So, doing the math, that's about $11.50 an hour. Yeah. Oh, and technically their work week under the contract was listed as being five days, but routinely workers found themselves actually doing six days at 10 hours a day, which was a whole other issue. So that meant Sanders field organizers were earning less than the $15 minimum wage that he supports as a candidate. So the union, and yes, the Sanders campaign is unionized, started negotiations with management. The intent of that negotiation was largely to raise the pay, not reduce the amount of work. They also wanted an acknowledgement that the work week really was six days, rather than pretending that it wasn't. They're looking for 50 hours over six days, in other words, roughly eight-hour days instead of 10-hour days. While this story is just breaking as I read this in the recording booth, it looks like a settlement has been reached. This comes from Washington Post reporter Sean Sullivan. He writes on Twitter, quote, News! Unionized workers on the Sanders campaign have reached a deal with management to raise pay. The specifics. Field organizers' pay will go from $36,000 to $42,000 a year, with continued 100% coverage of healthcare premiums. Workweek goes from 5 days to 6. Another important detail. Workweek for field organizers capped at 50 hours. Union members had said in an earlier draft proposal that those employees were working 60 hours a week. At 50 hours and $42,000, the equivalent hourly rate to the annual salary is more than $15 per hour, end quote. And that math does check out. At that new salary and at 50 hours a week, the wage is just over $16 an hour. So let's hear it for collective bargaining in campaigns. On Friday, country music broadcaster Blair Garner revealed that his interview with Mayor Pete Buttigieg would not be on the air, but instead could be downloaded online from his personal SoundCloud page. Um, what? So here's the story. Buttigieg's team reached out to Garner and offered time with the candidate for a sit-down interview. Garner, who hosts a popular country music radio show, of course, accepted. The interview is about 20 minutes long and starts with an anecdote about the time Buttigieg failed to recognize Brad Paisley backstage at a morning TV show, thinking Brad said his name was Fred. It's funny, and it's clear that Buttigieg really does have at least some affinity for country music. He's from Indiana, after all. Now let's listen to a clip here and note that Garner speaks first. I wanted to tell you, I, first of all, thank you for being here. I think it means a lot. There are a lot of people who are working this show that work two and three jobs just to put food on the table. And I, as I say time and again, the folks who listen to our program, they are the ones who are getting it done. Yep. And they are, are doing it without excuse. And it may not necessarily be something they asked for, but they are doing it. Mm -hmm. And they're keeping our country going 24-7. Mm -hmm. 
understanding that we are also a country, I think that our base tends to be more conservative. And the fact that you from the Democratic ticket are the singular candidate to reach out and to say, may I please be on your show, that you are reaching out to our listeners I think we all have to embrace that and and be appreciative of that. Well, thanks. You know, I think there are a lot of voters who just feel like maybe they haven't they haven't heard much from my side of the aisle in a while. Uh, you know, I live in Indiana. It's very similar. Uh, a lot of places where our message uh, can resonate uh, with folks of different political persuasions. A lot of people don't really think in terms of party anyway anymore. They're they're more looking for the right kind of leadership and open to different ideas. Uh, but you got to show up. You got to ask people for their support. You got to explain yourself. It's why. Uh, you know, I take the same message on Fox News that I take on to MSNBC when when we're doing political television, and uh, I want to make sure your listeners, who may come from any number of uh, different political backgrounds, know that that they have a choice. Especially in a moment like this, when a lot of Republicans, I think, are uh, looking at, at this White House and, and just thinking, "Does this really speak for me? Is this what I signed up for?" Uh, and I think it's a good moment as a country for us to talk about uh, where we're headed and uh, and maybe talk about some new coalitions we haven't seen in a while. Talk to me about the hope for civility. Well, the way we treat each other matters. That's the bottom line. Look, politics is rough and tumble. That's okay up to a point. Uh, But we've got to be able to arrive in good faith in the public square and talk about what we care about. Talk about what really matters in politics, which is not who called who what name or who tweeted what or who's up or who's down, but how are the decisions that are made in those big white buildings going to affect our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. And that's what my life has been. Uh, you know, I've, I've um, had uh, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of great experiences and, and a lot of advantages in life, but uh, also somebody who, uh, you know, knows what it means to have uh, your life shaped by the decisions made by politicians. Uh, I, I was deployed to war on the orders of a U.S. president. Uh, my family's uh, story is very much affected by U.S. health care policy. Uh, both an Affordable Care Act, that, that's one of the reasons my mother-in-law is alive, uh, and Medicare that really changed uh, what my family was able to do uh, when, when uh, each of my parents was ill. Uh, I'm in a marriage that only exists by the grace of a single vote on the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, I mean, politics is local. Politics is personal. And I think we need to get back to that. And when we do it in good faith, we, have, we stand a shot of, uh, of having it be more civil, too. Politics doesn't have to be the exchange of insults between two warring tribes. Mm-hmm. And I found that it's possible to reach across the aisle, not by pretending to be any more conservative than I am, uh, but just by wanting to find other people in good faith willing to have that conversation. And uh, I think Americans are willing to do it. American people are willing to do it. Our elected representatives maybe a little less so. Okay, so that interview actually never aired. I got that clip from SoundCloud. Garner's show is distributed by Cumulus Media, which said it didn't want a political interview on its air because of the FCC's equal time rule. We'll get to details of that in a moment, but first let me read from an article in the Washington Post by Emily Yar. Here she quotes a statement from Cumulus. Quote, Cumulus Nashville's programming managers made the decision not to air Blair Garner's pre-recorded interview with Mayor Pete Buttigieg because of the large number of political candidates currently in this race, the statement read. The decision was made by local programming management based solely on concerns related to the application of the FCC's equal time rule. The effects of the FCC's equal time rule are widely understood and considered whenever these types of issues arise. End quote. Yeah, the equal time rule. Well, it is well understood. The gist of that is, if you air an unbiased interview for news purposes, you do not need to provide equal time to anybody else. That is the part that is well understood. 
Kate Riga of Talking Points Memo spoke with Andrew Schwartzman of Georgetown's Institute for Public Representation, who pointed out that the rule would not apply in this case, and even if it did, every other candidate would have to apply within seven days in order to appear on a country music radio show. Reading from Talking Points Memo, and this is a quote from Schwartzman. Quote, In practice, here's the bottom line. It is highly unlikely that any candidate that wished to could successfully obtain time under equal opportunity. Just to request the time is a process that is complicated and probably not worth it, he said. And anyway, this interview is almost certainly exempt. He continued, This is much more likely to be about Cumulus not wanting to be seen as promoting a candidate who may not be particularly consonant with the proclivities of country station listeners since he is, how should we put this, gay. End quote. Incidentally, Garner, the host, is also gay and married and out. He and his husband have twins, and his show does just fine. It's a country music show, so I'm not sure what to make of all this mess. Anyway, if you're curious, the full interview on SoundCloud is in the show notes, as are links to several stories about the interview that never aired, but is now drawing massive national attention. The Election Ride Home is brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of classes covering all kinds of skills. We're talking everything from business to music to graphic design, you name it. So whether you've got a passion project you just need some knowledge to get through, or you're challenging yourself to learn a new skill, Skillshare has classes for you. Today I want to tell you about a Skillshare class for graphic design. Now, many of us need to design something for work, whether it's a graphic for a presentation or some kind of logo or whatever. It's hard to know how to get started if you never took a class on it. Well, here comes the class. Graphic Design Basics Core Principles for Visual Design. In just 36 minutes, you'll learn the principles you need to get started with graphic design. And if you want more, the same instructors have more courses so you can dig in deeper. So join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for you. Get two free months. That is correct. Skillshare is offering Election Ride Home listeners two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash PRH. Again, that is Skillshare.com slash PRH to start your two free months today. The Election Ride Home is sponsored by a fantastic podcast called The Meb Faber Show. The Wall Street Journal named it one of the top five investing podcasts you should not miss. If you're looking to learn from the brightest minds in finance, or you just want to know more about investing in a casual, fun interview format, this show is a must-listen. It's hosted by Meb Faber, who is CEO of Cambria Investments and an award-winning ETF manager. The goal of his show is to help you grow and preserve your wealth by giving you new investing insights and ideas. So check out The Meb Faber Show wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Meb, M-E-B, Faber, F-A-B-E-R. You don't want to miss it. On Twitter this morning, I saw something that seemed just a tad early, like maybe a year early, but interesting nonetheless. Dave Leventhal, a reporter for the Center for Public Integrity, attended a press briefing today and then posted slides from it. Reading from Leventhal's tweet, quote, This is how Democratic Super PAC Priorities USA sees the election 2020 electoral college map at this moment per a slide in a press briefing today, end quote. And then he shows a slide bearing the title, If Election Were Held Today, with the U.S. states colored red and blue, along with some key figures, 278 electoral college votes for Democrats and 260 for Republicans. It also includes the note, quote, We win by leading in Pennsylvania, though we lose Maine's 2nd District's electoral votes, end quote. 
What they're referring to there, by the way, is that Maine is not a winner-take-all state. It allocates some of its electoral college votes to the state popular vote winner overall, and then the rest based on who won the vote in each congressional district. Nebraska has a similar system. They're saying that Maine's second district would go red, but its first would go blue, as would its popular vote overall. Okay, but that's not all. In the second image posted by Leventhal, he writes, quote, This, meanwhile, is how Democratic Super PAC Priorities USA sees the presidential race breaking if persons of color vote in fewer numbers than projected. In other words, Trump wins. End quote. Now, that map predicts a reduction in voter turnout of just two percentage points among people of color, and the only state it actually flips is Pennsylvania. But flipping just one big state, well, that's the ballgame. And then there's the final map, where we see what Priorities USA thinks the race might look like right now, lacking, you know, an actual candidate to figure out whether they'd carry certain states. This map includes toss-up states and various leaning states. That's a whole story by itself, but essentially it reveals that large chunks of the country do fall into either a toss-up or leaning status. That obviously will change as we get deeper into the election and actually have a candidate who we can actually poll against in a state-by-state basis. While it is very, very early days, this is the kind of thing strategists are looking at right now. In this specific example, a slight change in turnout among people of color could swing the election. I think it's way early to take these maps too seriously, given that we don't have a Democratic ticket yet, but still, it's an interesting exercise to flip states around and see how the map changes. This is also yet another great time to plug the website electoralvotemap.com, which lets you do precisely that. You can fiddle around with flipping states and see how that affects the overall election outcome. Links to all of that in the show notes. Last night, Senator Cory Booker went on Late Night with Seth Meyers. They talked about civility and also about how to work with a Republican Senate. I mentioned that Senate thing in yesterday's show in the context of Booker's plan to change immigration policy using executive orders that don't require approval by the Senate. But I want to play the clip about the other topic, civility, that came up first. This starts with a line that I've heard from Booker before about a felony, but still both a pretty good dad joke and a good jumping off point for a real discussion. So listen in. You talk about, uh, in all seriousness, yeah. insofar as, as we talk about politeness, which will be an interesting thing in this campaign going forward, uh, you talk about civic grace and you talk about courageous empathy. Can you speak a little bit to what you mean by those ideas and also the difficulty in expressing those, in practicing those at a time I, where the opponent will likely not yeah, be using Yeah, I mean, those. look... I was running on a uh, Iowa stage, and we were so psyched, hundreds of people there. I'm about to jump up, and this guy sees me, the former tight end from Stanford University. He's a big guy. He puts his arm around me, and he goes, dude, I want you to punch Donald Trump in the face. And I stop in my tracks, and I go, dude, that's a felony, man. (laughs) And, and, you know, uh, Donald Trump is a guy who... You understand he hurts you, and, you, and my testosterone sometimes makes me want to uh, uh, feel like punching him, and, uh, which would be bad for this elderly, out-of-shape man that he is if yeah. I did that. Uh, um, uh, this physically, also, physically weak specimen. Also, a physically weak specimen. But, but, but you see what I'm talking there? Even that, that's his tactics, and you don't beat 
a bully like him fighting him on his tactics, on his terms, using his turf, he's the body shamer. He's the guy that shows, tries to drag people in the gutter. And I, this is a moral moment in America. And to me, what we need from our next leader, especially after the time of moral vandalism that we're in right now, is we need a leader that's not going to call us to the worst of who we are, but call us to the best of who we are. And we need to be, as a party, um, in this moral moment, we need not to talk about necessarily what we're against, but what we're for. And the best way of looking at this is just our history. The gardens of our democracy have never been free of the weeds of bigotry, hatred, a demagoguery. Every generation has had them. I, I, I literally had one of, uh, elder uh, friend of mine text me saying, listening to Donald Trump's rally last week, that he was talking, the words he was using reminded him of a George Wallace rally that he watched in black and white, and now it's in living color. But how did we beat them before? First of all, don't mistake strength for, uh, to, to be strong, you need to be mean. We beat Bull Connor, for example, in Birmingham, not by bringing bigger dogs and bigger fire hoses and bringing, matching his demagoguery with more, but these were incredible artists of activism that called to the moral imagination of a country, that called us to a greater, a revival of that civic grace that pulled black folks and white folks and, and more folks together that relegated that demagogue uh, to the ash sheep of history. We will not beat Donald Trump by trying to be more like him, but by showing that we are not like him. We are not weak morally. We are not weak mentally. We are a strong nation, and we're a nation that unites. It does seem like... Okay, so after that, they got into the Senate thing, and it's interesting that Booker did not bring up his immigration plan. Instead, he essentially argued that he has had success as a sitting senator passing bipartisan legislation. So that's the ideal, obviously, the idea that bipartisanship can work, and it can to some extent. But it's nice to know that Booker has a plan B, executive orders, just in case. And last up today, Drew Milmeta at 538 has been tracking cable TV news coverage of the various primary candidates since this whole thing began. And in that time, there has been a distinct pattern, which is that Joe Biden completely dominates cable coverage. Well, earlier this month, that began to change just a little. Looking at data for the week of July 14th, Meta points out that Biden dropped from his previous week by 11 percentage points. Meanwhile, Sanders gained a little over 13 points, Warren gained just under 5, and everybody else moved relatively little. So, having said that, Biden still had the lion's share of cable media attention at 39.6% during that week. In second place, you had Sanders at 25, then Harris at 20, then Warren at 18. So we are looking now at a field where that top four group, who were also the final draw on CNN, are not just the polling leaders, but they're also the most covered by the media by far. Check out the last link in the show notes if you're curious about where your favorite candidate is in the ranking and how that has changed lately. Well, that is it for one more episode of The Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. I just want to take a moment today to thank everyone who has gone on Apple Podcasts and left reviews. They really help me, and they help the show, and I really appreciate your time. Meanwhile, after the show today, guess who's making bingo cards? That's right, we are just one week away from the next debate, and we gotta get that sweet, sweet bingo. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. We'll